Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw, and welcome back to Vibe. I have the most interesting guest to introduce to you. I've been trying to get him on the show for a long time. And he's he's a lot different than than everybody else we've been interviewing lately. The only similarity is to one we just interviewed, Tal Gurr, who did 100 big challenges, big goals in 10 years. But my friend Ben Greenfield was raised in rural North Idaho. And he was he was homeschooled all the way through senior year. And he calls himself a complete nerd, like president of the chess club, complete nerd, like played violin for 13 years, wrote fantasy fiction, spent his whole childhood with his nose in a book. He graduated high school at age 15 and started college right after that, played singles and doubles for the men's tennis team at the age of 16. And so for four years as an undergraduate, Ben studied anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, pharmaceuticals, microbiology, biochem, nutrition, graduated top of his class. Did an internship at Duke University and with the NFL, graduated at the age of 20 as valedictorian, all while working as a bartender, personal trainer, lab assistant, nutritionist, spinning instructor. If you're not tired already listening to that, Ben was then accepted into six medical schools, but he decided instead to get a master's degree in exercise physiology and biomechanics. Then he jumped into the fitness world and he opened a bunch of personal training studios and gyms and physiology and biomechanics labs all over the Northwest. And he was voted America's top personal trainer in 2008. Ben has done 120 races and 12 Ironman triathlons. He's a relentless self-experimenter and he's a leader in the field of biohacking. I have found that my audience doesn't really know what biohacking is for the most part, but but I'm going to let Ben tell you what it is. Ben became a professional <laughs> obstacle course racer. He won, he completed the coveted Spartan Delta. He's trained with Navy SEALs. He's done all over the world, open water swims, mountain runs, adventure races. He's a bow hunter. I think he won like some competitions in bow hunting. He's been on reality TV. He's lived a lot of life and he's only 34. Welcome to the show, Ben Greenfield. I'm actually 36. Got old. Right. I got older since whenever you got your hands on that bio, Robin. Apparently, that that or makes maybe, you downright or maybe, old. Or or maybe you're talking about my 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 biological, not my chronological age, Which, because I actually have been testing that. Have you heard about this test? This this Tello years analysis that takes a it it samples the telomere length of all of your white blood cells on like one drop of blood. And then it spits out your, not your chronological age, but your biological age. And I've been testing every year, you know, doing all these things. I've, I've really gotten into anti-aging and, and longevity lately, and it's actually getting younger. So maybe I am 34. Maybe you're right. Maybe you called it. Well, I, with all the things that you do, I, if you're going to be 36, I really want you to be a lot younger than 34. Are you seeing like the repeat tests that you do every year that you're getting a lower and lower number? Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is getting lower. But uh, when I originally tested, it was two years higher than my chronological age. And it's because of all that that masochistic crap that you just listed off that I've done to my body over the past couple of decades. You know, all these Spartan Deltas and Ironman races. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really not a not a big news flash that that stuff isn't that great for everything from arterial stiffness to hormones. So. Uh, so I think I took some years off my life doing all of that. And now 
I am attempting to undo some of that damage with everything from, uh, you know, stem cells injections to, to, you know, NAD therapy to a lot of the things that, that science has to offer us for anti-aging. So, so yeah, uh, I'm 36 though, chronologically. Okay. So I'm really interested in what you just said, because we just live in this age where most people are exercising way too little, but then there's this small section of people that I've privately felt for a long time that are overdoing it. And mm. you, you seem to be admitting that maybe there is an overdue. Oh, absolutely. The, the benefits of exercise actually begin to diminish and you see an increase in risk of mortality. There's a, a doctor, uh, James O'Keefe, who has done some fascinating research on this, especially in, in endurance, in ultra endurance athletes. And it is about 60 minutes of anaerobic exercise or, you know, like uh, CrossFit wad type of stuff, um, you know, intense exercise, about 60 minutes, you see a pretty significant law of diminishing returns. And for aerobic exercise, uh, it's about 90 minutes. And by aerobic exercise, I don't mean, you know, like, I, well, I'm talking to you right now, Robin, as we were discussing before we started recording, I'm walking on the treadmill, right? That's more like very slow paced hunter, gatherer, gardener-esque type of activity. That That's not, that's not the 90 minutes I'm referring to. I'm talking about like, you know, the marathoners you see out jogging in the streets for a couple hours a day. You know, that, that's, that's the type of, of low level aerobic exercise that would be deleterious. So it's about 60 minutes of intensity or 90 minutes of kind of like aerobic, you know, triathloning or marathoning or whatever, uh, on a daily basis that winds up being bad for you. And it's, it's surprising how many people still exercise that much when they don't really need to. And when, of course you don't see exercise appearing in the, in the, uh, the Venn diagram of all the blue zones, right? You see wild plant intake and uh, surprisingly enough, high intake of legumes and friends, family and relationships and love and lack of smoking. But so yeah, I think a lot of people do um, do overdo it. And if climbing Mount Everest makes you happy and scratches an itch for you, or you want to go do like a, a Spartan or a triathlon, great. But I just, I don't, I don't want to fool people into thinking that's the way that you that you increase health and longevity per se. Yeah. I, I love that in your willingness to make yourself a human experiment, which is a big part of why you've, you know, gotten so much popularity online. You're, I'll just admit it. You're my favorite biohacker because I really feel like you are walking the talk. You live on 10 acres with your wife and your twin boys. You're out there bow hunting what you eat and growing what you eat and gathering what you eat. And I really am going to want to hear more about that. Wait, am I even your favorite biohacker compared to Goatman? Who's Goatman? He's a, he's a UK researcher. He actually wrote a book called, uh, it's like Becoming Goatman, I think is the name of the book. You could probably look it up on, on Amazon. But he, uh, he fitted himself with prosthetic limbs and a special goat helmet and attached like a rumen to his stomach and went out and lived with goats. He even used... Uh, a form of transdirect cranial stimulation, you know, the same thing like the Golden State Warriors are using to enhance, uh, you know, like like hand-eye coordination of their players prior to a game. Uh, anyways, he used a different form of this to actually remove his ability to be able to speak properly so that he wasn't tempted to, to talk a lot when he was out there with the goats. And uh, so he biohacked himself into becoming a goat for, a, he, he was out there, I think, for a few weeks living amongst the goats somewhere in like the pastoral hillside of, of the UK. 
uh, to just see what it felt like to live a little bit more closely with nature and to be an animal. And so uh, to me, that's a pretty impressive feat of biohacking. And I think he should be your favorite. Well, I'll really consider it. I raised my kids on goat milk and I might have to seek this guy out if he's re-entered into Mm -hmm. regular human life. Well, I was kind of like one step removed from the total natural lifestyle in that I actually went and got the raw goat milk from someone who milked them Mm -hmm. themselves. I I think it's probably hard. I don't know that I'd really. It it is. Well, we, we have Nigerian dwarf goats. So, so we live out here, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking on my treadmill, I'm looking out the window and we're covered in ice and snow right now. Uh, and so we have to have pretty hardy animals on our property. So our chickens are Icelandic and the goats are Nigerian dwarf goats, which are small, hardy goats. And they actually, for their size, give a lot of milk. It's one of the great things about goats. I hear they're good pets and then look at all these multi-purpose things that you can do with them as well as they give you better milk. Like what, what cows will give you, you know, and especially with all the steroids and hormones and antibiotics, right? Like, well, I mean, even if you've got an organic, like a two cow, um, you know, that's, you know, grass fed, you still have a a different size of the protein, right? It's, It's the thermodynamics of the protein. And so when you look at the size of a small goat and the size of a full-grown goat, they're actually closer in, in weight to a human than a cow is. And it's a, it's a smaller, more absorbable protein. And so you tend to see less uh, immune issues. Uh, for, for us, for one of my twin sons uh, who would get like asthma and some, some you know, immune type of issues, especially during like a, like a soccer match, you know, he'd, he'd have a hard time breathing after go sit on the sidelines. And all we did was we switched him from cow-based dairy to, to goat cheeses and goat dairy. And that fixed the issue, shockingly enough. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very hypoallergenic, almost like lamb meat is a very hypoallergenic meat. Uh, that being said, though, there was a period of time where I was I was sponsored as an athlete by a camel's milk company, and apparently, from a nutrient density and a hypoallergenicity standpoint, camel's milk is at the top of the totem pole. Uh, but I just didn't feel good about getting camel's milk, like shipped to me on airplanes uh, to sit in my fridge. It didn't seem that sustainable. Camels. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, right, right there with you. I used to go to this really weird dirty goat farm and get half gallon jars of unpasteurized goat milk. And I did that for many, many years, like well over a decade because I had the exact same experience you did. My oldest son was asthmatic. It was actually pretty severe. And, uh, you wouldn't have had to get your son off of dairy onto goat milk because, or, I mean, you would have not, not had to also get him off of sugar, but I got him off the whole process train. And, but that was, that was a shift we made too. And we never used the bronchodilators and steroids and antibiotics again. And, and that was the beginning of many changes. But yeah, getting getting my kids onto raw goat milk, um, there's a lot more similarities to human breast milk and smaller protein molecule, smaller fat molecule crosses the exactly. human semi-permeable membrane without having that mucus forming reaction. So anybody who, you know, thinks you have to give your kids dairy, you don't. You know, I also, I, I take a lot of colostrum. I, I use a goat-based colostrum, not year round. I'm careful with a lot of anabolic compounds like that, that increase growth hormone, just because I feel like being in a constantly anabolic state could potentially uh, kind of fly in the face of longevity. Right? You have to, that, that's why I, I fast, for example. You know, I do intermittent fasting every day and 
on the weekends, I fast from Saturday dinner until Sunday dinner. And that's not anabolic. It's, it's kind of catabolic, but, um, colostrum, what I'll do with that, because as you've just alluded to, you know, one of the things that it can do is actually, you know, uh, close up some of the, some of the tight junctions in the gut and, uh, it acts on the, uh, the zonulin protein, I believe in those tight junctions. And, uh, in the same way that it can heal up a, a baby's gut when a baby is first born, it, you know, most babies do have a leaky gut and colostrum from, from mom's breast milk helps to heal that up. It can do the same thing to, uh, to a permeable gut in, in adults. And uh, one of the things that it's been studied for is athletes or people who exercise in the heat, you get uh, a significant increase in gut permeability when you engage in intense exercise in the heat. So I take colostrum for about two weeks prior to a hot race, right? Like I've got a race in, in San Jose at the end of March coming up, a Spartan race. And two weeks out from that race, I'll load with colostrum and then I'll also load with beet juice. The beet juice is different. That's more of a nitric oxide precursor. The colostrum is more for, for keeping your gut less permeable in the heat. But it's, it's actually, uh, a lot of athletes don't know this. It's a, it's a fantastic supplement to use if you're competing, especially in hot conditions. How about for so much of my audience who experiences gut issues? You know, we have this huge epidemic in leaky gut and all that. Do you think it's a good part of their first line yeah, of defense there? It is. Un unless you have, uh, you know, a significant immune reaction to any dairy protein, in which case you might want to be careful. Uh, but, you know, if you, uh, I like, for example, like a Cyrex Array 10 panel is a good uh, it's a good allergy testing or food intolerance testing panel. They do, they do some really good food allergy and like gluten cross reactivity panels and you can get tested just to, just to make sure you're not super sensitive to dairy. But yeah, I mean, as, as long as you don't have any type of dairy protein allergy, it's, it's fantastic for that. So I watched a video you did with, um, on somebody else's show and you were talking about how you like Cyrex. I wanted to tell you this because I think you'll be interested in this, that our friend, okay. I'm sure you know him too, Dr. Alan Christensen. Yes. Yeah. He did. He did an experiment where he took the same person's blood and sent it to two different labs because like me, he had the sense that a lot of these, uh, allergy testing labs are giving pretty bogus results. And so he, he took 22 people and some of them he sent two different vials of the same person's blood to two different labs. And some of the 22 people, he took their two vials of blood, marked them as two different people and sent them to the same lab. And in both cases, more than 80% of the time, the, the two test results came back so different as to be chalked up, did about the same as if it was like random chance, like two different people. So I, I share that with you because he actually proved how bogus a lot of the labs are. And it sounds like you think that the Cyrex um, lab is, gives, gives good results. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes. Uh, apparently they use something called a, a double assurance system where they test both the raw and the cooked version of the protein, which is important because some people have like uh, – uh, a, a reaction, their white blood cell will show an immune reaction to like a raw egg protein versus a cooked egg protein, for example. And uh, Cyrex tests the raw, they, they test the raw and the cooked. And then they have some kind of, uh, some kind of an accuracy assessment that they do that, that makes it uh, more accurate or gives, gives you a, a, a much 
shorter list of foods that you can't eat that annoy you that you have to hang in your refrigerator and it, and it, and it taunts you when you have these hundred different foods you can't eat. It's a, it's a pretty small list you get from Cyrax. Apparently it produces far fewer false positives. So I like it. Interesting. Um, yeah. Alan Christensen's favorites are Meridian Valley and biotech. Yeah. So I'm super interested in, you know, I love that if you're going to be this biohacker and you're constantly experimenting on yourself, that you're willing to say, Hey, I think that these things actually aged me faster. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, in the name of being a true scientific experiment, I'm willing to talk about it, say, Hey, that wasn't really working for me. What, what are some of your biohacking experiments on yourself that you think probably took you the wrong direction and now you've changed and, and, and I'm curious if you've like ever calmed down a bit cause you're such, you're so driven. Yeah, I, I am pretty driven and, and based on a lot of personality assessments that I've done, I really do rank as, you know, what you might call an achiever, someone who likes to be constantly productive. My wife will sit out on the porch in one of our hammocks up there and, and stare out at the forest, sipping out a glass of wine for like an hour and a half in the evening. And I can't sit out there for more than five minutes. That wanting to like, you know, go inside and, and work on a book or a blog post or go play my guitar or make something or work out. Like I, I just, I, I'm hardwired to constantly want to be doing something. Right? Like I thrive on hyper productivity and, and action. And, and so, um, so yeah, I've, I've always kind of been that way. Uh, but when it comes to uh, the core of your question, biohacking or biohacks that haven't worked out, uh, there's there's not that many of them really. I, I haven't I haven't seriously injured or, or hurt myself uh, in any in any way um, you know, with with any biohacks aside from like you know cold thermogenesis. That's one that gets popular, and I think some people overdo it. And I certainly got very excited about it. You know, when I first interviewed. Uh, Ray Cronice, I believe back in 2013, shortly after he wrote that Wired magazine article about the positive effects of cold therapy on everything from nitric oxide production to conversion of white adipose to brown fat. I really got into it and I lived at that time close to the Spokane River and I would go out to the Spokane River and swim in it and it would get colder and colder and i think it was it was spring of 2014 when i went out there and and just swam for as long as i could just to get all the benefits of cold thermogenesis and i remember sitting in my car afterwards and i couldn't figure out how to turn the car on and i completely lost bowel control and literally just like exploded with diarrhea all over my car seat because i was so cold and so shivering and just lost complete control over everything. That's probably like the worst I've ever done to myself was just getting too cold. And I probably could have died swimming in the river at that temperature. Um, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm more, more of like a quick in quick out kind of cold guy. You know, I have a cold pool. I had a crane drop a 19 foot endless pool that I keep cold back in the forest behind my house. And I go jump in that for about five minutes every morning. And that even that's after I've gotten myself all all nice and toasty warm in the infrared sauna, or like I start off every day with a little bit of hot and a little bit of cold. And um, that's about the worst I've done to myself. Uh, most of the other bad things I've done to myself has been like, you know, doing some of the things you talked about, like the 24 hour world's toughest mutter, right? Where my wife was crewing for me. All I was eating the whole time was uh, 
those dried plantains because we stopped by Whole Foods on the way into the race. I just grabbed a whole bunch of those and those were sitting in the tent and I did this 24-hour toughest mutter in the Vegas desert where it got just teeth grittingly cold at night. And there was a point between about 2 and 4 a.m. where I had to like crawl in the sleeping bag with her because I was shivering so bad and I couldn't stop my whole body from shaking. And literally she just stripped me down naked and, and snuggled up next to me inside my sleeping bag for a couple of hours bless her heart to, to warm me up. Um, or, you know, I, I've done multiple Ironman triathlons injured where I've just, you know, had to like walk the marathon and take like six hours to get through it. Uh, I did that Spartan that you were talking about, like the Spartan Delta, which was 32 degrees below zero, uh, back in Vermont. And you couldn't even like pull down your pants to take a crap during the race. That's, you know, freezing your butt cheeks off. And a couple of girls lost toes in the first couple hours of the race. And, uh, I remember one of the aid stations was just like a bunch of frozen fish and they had pots and you had to figure out how to take your fire starting kit. And I personally used uh, a blue Gatorade to boil my fish in so I could actually eat some fish to, to keep going and, and continue the race to be able to finish. That was about a, a three day event. Um, you know, and, and all those type of things, I think that, that those, uh, definitely exceed the parameters of what we might consider a, a hormetic stress that would make you stronger and instead produce enough inflammation and enough hormonal depletion to actually make you make you weaker. And, and for me, you know, I've, I, with, with all that ultra endurance stuff, especially when I was in the throes of it, I experienced really low testosterone and really significant dysregulation of thyroid. Uh, you know, no surprise here, but, you know, really elevated HSCRP and, and homocysteine and cytokines and a lot of electrolyte abnormalities. And so, um, so yeah, it's those things. It's like the stuff that we would consider to be, oh, you must be healthy because you look good in spandex and you can run 26 miles. It's like those things really have damaged me and the biohacks, you know, everything from infrared light to, NAD injections to really good pulsed electromagnetic field therapy to a lot of things for mitochondrial density, you know, like a hyperoxic training um, and, you know, a ketogenic diet. A lot, a lot of those things ha seem to have, have healed a lot of the damage. And honestly, like right now at this point in my life, I feel like a million bucks. Like I, my wife and I were talking about this a couple days ago. I feel like I'm 16 years old. Like I'm like my, I'm, I'm strong and I'm horny and I don't get sick at all. And I've, I've got great energy during the day and I'm doing far less of this like intense masochistic exercise. As a matter of fact, I've shifted almost primarily to just like, you know, explosive exercise, high intensity interval training, you know, working with the kettlebells and doing just like short course racing instead of long course racing. So, so ultimately, um, I haven't really messed myself up with any, any biohacks, I guess, aside from, from swimming for too long in a cold river. And I've seen photos of you where you're super rocked up and you weigh 30 or 40 pounds more than you do now. And you describe yourself in a rather negative way, which makes me think of some friends of mine who have been in the fitness competition industry. And my personal oh, opinion is yeah. that what they're doing is super, super terrible for their health nutrition wise. So talk about your, of course, of course yeah. you went and did that for a while. Of course you got all rocked up and looked like Mr. Universe. So well, that, you that, was that was bodybuilding. I, I did that when I was, when I was younger, I was 21 and 22 years old when I, when I bodybuilded. So I weigh about 175 right now and I was 215 pounds at 3% body fat as a bodybuilder. 
Uh, and that was, that was, that was, you know, hormone free. I was a poor college student. I couldn't really afford <laughs> drugs. And so I did that all by eating copious amounts of protein. I mean, a lot of protein, like, um, I don't know how many grams I was at per day, but well above that, that 200 gram ish, uh, amount where you begin to get like ammonia toxicity and a whole bunch of nitrogenous waste. And I, I was consuming a lot of protein, but, but bad protein. I mean, just like whatever happened to be on sale from the frozen steak section of the grocery store, four to five cans of tuna at night. I was sponsored by ABB bodybuilding shakes, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of like that number one doctor's recommended Ensure, where, you know, which is like maltodextrin and soy protein isolate and vegetable oil and you know, a bunch of crap in a can. Same thing, except this one, this was just copious amounts of, of protein. Uh, and so it was a high, high, high protein, low fat, low carb diet that I followed, uh, while living in the gym doing, uh, I, I did like a full body exercise routine, like a full body, uh, weight split, you know, cleans, jerks, deadlifts, um, squats, presses, full body, uh, three times a week. And then I do all of what I called my vanity exercises on the weekend where I, you know, blast the calves or the biceps or the triceps or the arms, um, you know, the neck areas like that. And, um, yeah, I was pretty unhealthy. I looked really good, but again, very low testosterone. Um, a lot of gut issues like that really messed up my gut for a long time. Um, and uh, I, yeah, like you mentioned, I did look good and I got kind of sort of strong. Not like function. You don't even get that functionally strong when you're doing that type of stuff. I'm probably stronger now than I was when I was a bodybuilder, uh, but I had a lot of muscle and I looked good and I could pose. And I was I was married at the time. Uh, uh, married at the time, still unmarried, same, same girl, my wife, Jessa, uh, and she used to like go backstage with me and she would smear the gold flakes uh, tanning lotion all over me. So I'd look really good underneath the lights. And then I'd drink a bunch of red wine and dark chocolate to bring blood to the surface of the skin. So you get all, all vasodilated. And then I'd go out on stage and I'd squeeze my butt cheeks till they cramped because I was dehydrated and, and peeing orange from all the dandelion root extract I'd use before the shows to, to dehydrate myself because it brand, draws your skin closer into your muscles when you're super duper dehydrated. So, um, yeah, also not, not the healthiest of sports. Wow. Crazy, crazy stories. And now you have, tell me how you get the self-confidence to go shoot yourself up with uh, $8,000 worth of stem cells. I saw you do that oh. on a video. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah. Well, there's, um, so a company in, in Florida, the U S stem cell clinic, they do, they grow, they, they extract fat from your back. So I had to go in there. It was a horrible procedure. Cause I'm, I'm still pretty lean. I'm maybe like 7% body fat now. Uh, and, and a big part of that is honestly, cause I'm still racing, you know, I, I still race professionally in these Spartan races and triathlons. So I do purposefully keep myself lean. I just, I, I, you know, unlike the bodybuilding years, I'm actually eating a healthy diet. Like I eat a lot of fats, uh, but I still, you know, I'm, I'm still active enough to where I stay pretty lean. Uh, and I'm, I'm naturally kind of lean anyways, but I go into this clinic and they're like, dude, you should have had more like donuts and Twinkies coming in here because I had almost no fat. So they had to, they had to thrust this needle in and out of my back for like 90 minutes over and over again, just, just to, to suck enough fat out. And they still couldn't re-inject me that day because they have to take the fat and grow it because they still didn't get enough fat from my back. So it was like my back hurt for weeks. So anyways, they, uh, 
they take this fat and they use a collagenous enzyme to break down the fat and to concentrate the stem cells, the uh, mesenchymal stem cells, the MSCs from the fat. And uh, of course, those can be re-injected, as a lot of people know, into uh, joints, you know, similar to, to prolotherapy or, or platelet-rich plasma, uh, which I've also had done, which is pretty efficacious, but these stem cells are, are far more efficacious. Um, and typically they're actually combined with these growth factors uh, from platelet-rich plasma, meaning once you've extracted those stem cells and you've grown them and you've isolated the stem cells and you get them shipped on, say, ice to, to your house or to a doctor's office who's going to inject you, they'll also, on the same day of the injection, take your blood and they spin your blood in a centrifuge to concentrate what are called the growth factors. Uh, and, and that's called platelet-rich plasma injection. And, and gold standards is, is, is you'd inject a joint with both the stem cells and the platelet-rich plasma to heal a joint. But if you're just going after the, the anti-aging effect, you know, the effect you might get from, you know, so much of the studies where they're like, you know, reverse aging in old mice by injecting the old mice with the blood of young mice, you can do the same thing by injecting the stem cells from the younger you or just stem cells in general into your bloodstream and they will they will go anywhere they need to go to actually act on that tissue for healing and so uh i got the procedure done i waited a few months for them to actually grow the stem cells i ordered them to my house and then i um i do push ivs on myself anyway so uh, once a week, I do a push IV of a Myers cocktail, uh, just just a big blend of of nutrients and vitamins and minerals, and then I also do a push IV of glutathione. And so for for me, you know, taking taking a needle and putting it into like the, you know, the the vein on my arm and and pushing the stem cells in there wasn't too far of a cry from you know doing a Myers cocktail or glutathione injection. And so I ordered the stem cells and. Um, while I don't believe it's legal for a physician to, at this point, inject stem cells into your blood, although they can inject joints, um, you can inject them into your own blood. And so I injected the stem cells and uh, then I, I sent off my, my telomeres for analysis a couple of weeks later and I'm, I'm waiting to, to get the results back, but I'm interested to see what happened. I mean, I, I feel really good, like I mentioned. Like I, I honestly feel right now like I'm a teenager uh, and I don't know if that's from the stem cells or just from, you know, kind of a, a clustered effect of all the things that I do each day for health. But, uh, ultimately, um, yeah, I mean, the, the tricky part was, was hoping I didn't miss the vein with that really expensive bottle of stem cells. Like that's the thing that was going through my head. Cause it's kind of like you get, you get one shot. Yeah. I was, I was pretty amazed. My jaw was on the floor watching you mainline stem cells, um, on your own that, that you probably couldn't talk a, a physician into doing it like that. But, uh, you know, we did something similar with my son two months ago, had all four impacted wisdom teeth out at the same time. And so my biological dentist prepared some platelet rich fibrin in, and had the, the oral surgeon who had no clue about any of this kind of stuff, um, had him injected in there along with some ozone. And we got out of there with all four of his teeth, uh, no steroids, no antibiotics, no dry socket, no cavitations, which is pretty cool. Um, so I, I'm a believer in this, this, um, way of, you know, technology helping us with anti-aging, but l let me ask you something. I'm 15 years older than you. Should I be banking stem cells or am I too old? I don't, I don't think you're too old. 
I mean, like, look at it this way. You, you know, you, you could take the, the 50 year old you and have that injected into the, the 65 year old you or the 70 year old you or the 80 year old you, or, you know, so in my opinion, uh, if, if you've got the ability to be able to do it, it's, it's still a decent idea. Although there, there are of course like umbilical or embryonic stem cells that a lot of older individuals will use rather than getting their own stem cells instra- extracted. Um, yeah, that's so, what, that's what I'm wondering is, should I just get them from, get stem cells from another person who's much younger if, right, if it comes right, to that? Like a, like a baby. Yeah. You get, you get less of the mesenchymal stem cells available versus harvesting your own tissue and using that. But yeah, I mean, you know, th- th- this is, this is hard for, for, uh, for anybody who's, who's aging to hear, but you know, the, the older your cells are, the, the, the weaker they are. And of course the shorter their telomeres are. And so, yeah, the longer you wait, the less effective those stem cells will be, but it's all relative, right? The, the, the 50 year old you is still far, far younger than the, than the 65 or the 70 or the 80 year old you. So, um, if you have the opportunity to be able to do it, like, I don't think it would, it would hurt, but, but yeah, the, the younger, the better in my opinion, of course. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of on that line where I don't really know if I should just be I, I've never banked stem cells. But as you you know, you're coming to Park City soon and we have a, a leader in the field of stem cell application and research. And so I've always thought maybe I should go do that. But, you know, maybe no health issues have hit me yet. So it hasn't become but it's one of those things that you should think ahead on. So t- take us to what yeah. do you think the most exciting trends are in your world of biohacking? What do you what do you what do you see out there that troubles you, or what do you think that is really exciting out there? Mm. Well, uh, some of the things that that make me feel really good, and that I think there's some decent research behind. Uh, one would be photobiomodulation, uh, which would be the use of infrared. Uh, or various forms of light, uh, red light, near infrared, far infrared, for a variety of effects. Like what I do is I work with two infrared panels, uh, one in front of me and one behind me. And infrared can help with scar healing and help with collagen and elastin uh, in the skin. And it can also have a mood enhancing effect. It can cause a little bit of an increase in growth hormone. Uh, it can actually uh, induce uh, increased activity of cytochrome C oxidase in uh, cells. And so whether that be like photobiomodulation using a headset, like there's one called a Vilite that they use in a lot of dementia and Alzheimer's patients that I own and use in the mornings. It's like a cup of coffee for your brain or whether you're to like shine this, like I'll, I'll shine it, I don't wanna be crass, but I'll shine it like on my testicles, for example, to enhance activity of the Leydig cells in the testes, which causes you to produce more testosterone. And at the same time increases uh, what's called angiogenesis, so the, or the growth of you know, new blood vessels. And so you could have you know, better orgasms and better libido. Uh, and then of course there's, there's the idea that you could combine it with something like a sauna. You know, there's a lot of these infrared saunas now and I use mine almost every day. You know, the skin is the largest detoxification organ and not only is it good for, for sweat, but you also get a little bit of a lysing of fat cells as well, especially when you do something like, like a fasted infrared treatment. So I'm a big fan of, of that as, as uh, one kind of cool, but that would be something I use like every day. It would be light via photobiomodulation. Um, how do you, how do you get that? Is that something you can buy and have at home? 
Yeah, I use um, I use a, there, there's a lot of, of brands out there. Uh, I use these ones called Juve lights, and they're just these big panels. Um, and yeah, I, I have mine on a stand in my office, one behind me and one in front of me. And so uh, while I'm working, I'll either be on the treadmill or I've got like a little wobble board beside my treadmill um, and like a, uh, a, a mat. A, uh, it, it's, uh, this mat's interesting. It's a foot mat that was patterned after the Korean rice paddy fields by this Swiss inventor who used to walk in the fields and you feel fantastic afterwards and his, his feet got a lot stronger. So I have this mat. It's called a Kaibun mat, K-Y-B-U-N so I've got that and like a balance board and my treadmill, but then these lights I can I can shine at any time. So those are those are pretty cool. Um, another one that I like is this concept of pulsed electromagnetic field therapy to allow you to actually um, do anything from increased blood flow to tissue to increase bone density. There's some very interesting studies on on tumors and the ability of PMF to to actually. Uh, kill, uh, cancer cells. And there's, there's a lot of different PMF devices out there right now. Uh, but one that I'm using, it's like the, it's like the price of a small car, but you could, you could go to their website and and look them up and see if there's one you could just go to at a clinic in your area. It's called a, a pulse Got to crane my neck to see what this thing's called. Pulse XL pro. I think it's, it's pulsecenters.com. It's this giant table that you lay on, but I mean, this thing, um, they use it on racehorses. Like I've used a lot of these PEMF devices and you can't really feel them. And this thing just like shakes your whole body. And, and just in the past couple of weeks, I, I had a little hip and, and back injury. And this thing has made a night and day difference, like really, really strong, powerful. It's called PEMF, Pulse Electromagnetic Field Therapy. And you can use this for sleep uh, to increase your... Uh, and you can you can you can increase your delta brainwave production uh, by setting it on what would be called like the the Schumann resonance frequency, which would be what what the Earth would emit, the same frequency that the Earth would emit when one would be earthing or grounding. This is like that on steroids. So really, really high intensity PMF. I like that. I've been using that a lot, like every day, and I use this photobiomodulation every day. And then a lot of people are into like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which I I briefly mentioned earlier. Uh, to enhance mitochondrial density. And there's this other device I have behind me right now that that I actually did a little workout on this morning. It's called a Live O2 Adaptive Contrast Unit. And what it does is it sucks all the oxygen out of the air and uh, and and concentrates it inside of this bag. And then there's a switch where you can switch to breathing pure oxygen uh, if it's in plus mode or about 30% less oxygen than you would normally breathe at you know, whatever area you happen to be in in the world elevation wise. And so you can go back and forth from hypoxia to hyperoxia. So I'll do like a 10 rounds of 15 seconds at hypoxia, then 15 seconds at hyperoxia, then 15 seconds of recovery at hyperoxia. And this is the equivalent, like 15 minutes of that's like 24 hours in a hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber. And I'm riding a bicycle while I'm doing this. So um, I would say, yeah, three things would be a photobiomodulation, really high intensity PEMF, and then um, like hypoxic, hyperoxic, what's called a ga- adaptive contrast training. People also call this exercise with oxygen therapy, EWOT. Um, but I use the uh, use this Juve light for the for the photobiomodulation, then this one called a Vi light for the head. 
those are two really good devices I've noticed uh, I've noticed a really positive effect with. For the PEMF, uh, the one I use upstairs for sleep is called a Flex Pulse, but the bigger one in my office for injuries and for a more full body effect is called uh, a Pulse XL Pro. Uh, and then this, uh, this hypoxic, hyperoxic unit, it's called a Live O2 Adaptive Contrast Unit. Those are three things that I use like almost every day. I have been furiously taking notes, probably follow up with you about one or two of those things later. I, um, I don't think we should end this interview without talking about your take on food. You're deep in the nutrition world. You eat a very, very clean diet. And I watched your take on vegans, um, watching a video interview you did with someone else. And I was surprised at how much we see eye to eye, you and I, because um, I think of biohackers as big meat eaters. And while I don't identify as a vegan, Ben, I'm, I am I love the idea of us eating more plants for the sustainability. And I, I rarely eat animal products. And, you know, and I, I kind of get my, you know, missing links covered in a variety of way, you know, choline and creatine and uh, B12 and vitamin D. I, you know, either supplement for that um, or I eat, I actually eat an animal product probably three times a month and specific ones usually to hedge, sort of to hedge my bets. Cause I don't necessarily think that a vegan diet is the only way to go. I don't think you have to be vegan to be healthy, but I was raised by a plant-based eater who was raised by a plant-based eater. And, um, she, my grandmother went, went that way after being diagnosed with cancer and she went Gerson therapy and, you know, healed of a terminal cancer diagnosis. And it was really powerful for me. So, so somebody wants to eat low on the food chain, like I do. And I think that even the cleaner sources of animal protein available to most of us, because most of us aren't going to go out in the woods with a bow, you know, a bow hunt like you. Um, I think a lot of those, those sources are problematic in, in the modern world. What do you think the average whole foods vegan needs to do supplementally? And, and what do you think is the right diet? I don't think there is a right diet. I think that people need to need to eat based on what they're genetically hardwired to eat. You know, and there are people who are sub-Saharan African or Southeast Asian or people with uh, familial hypercholesteremia, for example, uh, who have you know very high levels of saturated fat sensitivity, uh, who might produce uh, inflammation or extremely high high cholesterol or high particle count in response to, let's say like a, you know, one of these trendy high fat, low carb or ketogenic diets. Uh, and then there are other people who have very deleterious blood sugar responses, you know, based on, for example, the fasting study in, in Israel that inspired, uh, Rob Wolf's book, you know, wired to eat who, you know, will have blood glucose that goes through the roof in response to, you know, a cookie or, a, or a banana or whatever, whereas other people are are far less affected by that. And by, by testing your genetics, you can certainly get some clues, not only as to what your ancestors would have eaten, but also what genes you may have that may make you more or less predisposed to having a, a bad reaction to certain foods. You know, and you may, you know, we, we of course could spend hours talking about everything from, you know, PPAR issues causing inflammation in response to, to a ketogenic diet to, um, you know, MTHFR issues related to your ability to be able to actually, you know, process some of these folate sources in the diet. And so 
ultimately, you know, I have an article about this on my website. It's called, you know, F diets, how to customize your diet to you. It's just based on this concept of, of testing. I mean, I was reading a fascinating research article the other day on how levels of, of Prevotella bacteria in the gut will uh, cause you to have either a, a positive or a negative response to high fiber intake from plants, right? So even the gut microbiome might influence your propensity to thrive or not on a, on a plant-based diet. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it comes down to testing your body and we live in an era where it's not that expensive to like get a genetic test that would have cost like $10,000 a decade ago. You can go get for a hundred to $200 at say like 23 and me. And you could export that raw data if you want to take a really deep dive into say like strategy or a genetic genie and learn a lot more about what you should or should not be eating. So I think you have to customize to you, but my nutritional philosophy is that, um, you know, when it comes to a book like, you know, Stephen Gundry's plant paradox that argues that, you know, plants are equipped to kill us. Well, my opinion on that is not if you're smarter than the plant, right? Not if you know how to soak and how to sprout and how to ferment and how to deactivate, you know, phytic acids or, you know, uh, I have bread almost every day, but it's via, you know, like a slow fermentation process from a non-GMO you know, wheat berry via sourdough bread that my wife makes. So a lot of the gluten is pre-digested and the glycemic index is lower. You know, we talked about goat milk. And so ultimately, I think that just about anything on God's green earth can be rendered digestible. And uh, so because of that, I'm a real foodie. You know, I, I follow what might be closest to like a Weston A. Price type of foundation approach where, you know, I eat good organic raw dairy and um, I'll eat, you know, grains, assuming they've been soaked and sprouted and fermented and prepared properly. And I eat meats and plants. I'm quite, I'm omnivorous in that sense, you know, always from good sources. And, um, so yeah, I think it's a process of a customization and then B, once you've customized, you know, specifically when I say customization, like your macros and some of your food choices, then it still comes down to taking those foods and rendering them digestible by not being an idiot in the kitchen by actually learning how to do things like, I mean, anybody can take quinoa and, and, you know, rinse that in a strainer and then, you know, soak it in a Mason jar overnight and change that water and maybe do that one or two times. And if you know how to do that, you could probably sprout it too. And that that's not rocket science, right? It's just a lot of people are honestly, they're just lazy with food, right? They don't render it digestible. So I think that's a bigger issue than, like the actual uh, macros or even the the food choices that you make is just looking at the digestibility of the foods that you do eat. But yeah, I, I um, you know, long story short is I eat a nutrient dense digestible diet from a wide variety of food sources. I'm omnivorous. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm careful not to overeat and careful not to be constantly consuming anabolic compounds like eggs and bacon and milk and dairy and meat. Uh, but, but yeah, I eat a, a lot of plants, higher fat, moderate protein, relatively low carb, a little bit more carb if I'm exercising a lot. And that's, uh, that's in a nutshell, uh, my diet. So. I love it. Great answers and your wealth of knowledge at a young age. And, um, I, I wanted to interview Ben because I've sat next to him at conferences and he's got like this, um, duffel bag and he's, I'll got all this healthy food and he'll go sit in a corner outside the room and meditate. Like he really, he really walks the talk and that's, that's not true of everyone. So I'm, I'm really impressed with how you're living your life and you seem to be just as 
motivated and excited about being a dad as, as everything else that you do. And so I really admire you and I really, um, have enjoyed the conversation. I knew I would, I've been really digging into your stuff and I knew that my audience would enjoy it, even though you probably, that biohackers are usually like the 25 to 45 year old male crowd. And my, my crowds, the 35 to 65 year old women is most of the people who follow us at green smoothie girl and here on the podcast at vibe. But, um, I've learned a lot and, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're crazy busy. You're involved in so many different things. I mean, professional athlete to running this biohacker brand. And so, so I really appreciate you being with us. Tell us where we can learn more about Ben Greenfield Fitness and your podcast and your books that you've published. Tell us more. Yeah, I mean, you can just Google me and you can find my find my website uh, where I, I do like a podcast and some articles and got a book. But yeah, you should uh, bengreenfieldfitness.com would be probably my, my top website. So. And your book, your, what book, what book would you send the 35 to 65 year old female crowd to? You know, I would say I I have like a book that's like 500 pages of a bunch of like, you know, biohacks and tools and toys. And and I recently updated it and it's called beyond training. Um, but honestly, like the book of my own that, that I eat my own dog food of the most, uh, sitting right behind me and it's, uh, a gratitude journal. I gratitude every single morning and um, I published a gratitude journal that is my own gratitude practice uh, that my wife and, and my two boys and I use each day. And it's called the Christian gratitude journal. And um, that one's pretty easy to find too. You can just Google it or find it on Amazon. Uh, but I, I think that that's almost like changing a lot of people's lives more than, than the big thick book on, on biohacking. So yeah, th- that one's at, at uh, christiangratitude.com. Um, but I'm I'm just as proud of that one and, and feel like it's it's producing a positive difference in a lot of people's lives. So that'd be a good one to to check out if you if you like that woo-woo stuff and that, that whole idea of of optimizing your spirit each morning. It's a it's a good little read. We love that. We're two woos around here, not one. So thanks so much for being with us, Ben Greenfield. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, Robin. I'm honored. 